A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Um, so, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Hot. Yes, so Kerry okay. Pritchard McLean, some of you might recognize. Hi. She's done a lot of TV work here in the UK. Yes. That's right. Um, and uh, Michelle is actually from Canada and has come over here on a quest to, I, I think, yes. conquer the scene. Yes, I moved to the UK in March, so I'm very new. Nobody knows who I am yet. <laughs> yes, well, look. This is the place to come and see absolutely everybody. Edinburgh is one of those strange Scottish cities that is always full of English people. And, uh, <laughs> and so you get the whole spectrum of people coming to watch the different shows here. Um, now, in the conversations I've had with our other guests, um, who was it we had the other day? It was like, oh, he was talking about his dead lover. So it was quite heart, you know, heart wrenching and stuff um so feel free at any point during the conversation to tell me that it's getting too deep or my <laughs> questions are too greedy and too 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 investigative um but let's start by finding out a bit about the shows that have brought you here to edinburgh this year so kerry your show yes. is uh every single day it's home truths mm -hmm. tell us about that so um home truths uh is about me moving back to where i'm from which is rural Wales. Uh, I moved back at the start of the first lockdown, the best lockdown, I'll say it. The Tiger King one was the best one. It was the best it one. It was the best one, wasn't it? And we didn't yeah. even know it at the time. Yeah. Um, obviously, not if you were on the front line. Thank you for your service. But <laughs> the rest of us had lovely gardens. Um, so, yeah, I moved back um, at the start um, of the first lockdown. And it's sort of about moving home, but it's also... It is it's a show about identity and, well, what it's a, it's loads of clubby stand-up because I came up through the clubs, but really it's sort of like a thesis on um, where your identity as someone who's oppressed intersects with where you oppress other people and how you deal with that. So it's about colonization and yeah it, so so it sounds deeply unfunny when i explain it but i promise just loads of gags and is the discussion of colonization 
born from a deep Welsh resentment. <laughs> the only kind that we have, yeah. <laughs> the only kind. As deep as our minds, which I would part say. Which <laughs> Wales is rural Wales? Is it north or south? North, I mean, yeah. North. Which is very similar to, I don't know how it works in Scotland, but there's a very similar, along the same lines as well, north-south divide in Wales that there is Yeah, in no, there is. I'm aware yeah. of this. I sometimes go to Cardiff to do shows in some of the gay bars there, and they always <laughs> make fun of... Like, I think it's funny because there's a pecking order of, like, punchlines for jokes so I'll, I'll tease the people from Cardiff and they'll tease the people from North Wales <laughs> <laughs> who do the people from North Wales tease <laughs> the people with caravans there from Liverpool right. that's <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder Michelle so which part of Canada is it that you're from I'm from Toronto Toronto okay so yes. a big city yes okay so you're not a rural lady no not at all no and your show that you've brought here and I have to say that I was seeing it when I got off the train when I arrived last week and I thought Oh, this is a show I want to go and see because you look so glamorous in the poster. Thank like you. you look fabulous and it lo it's <laughs> called you. Be Your Own Daddy. It is called Be Your Own Daddy. And that's, <laughs> I guess, what I'm trying to do in the UK. Um, I was kind of getting a little too comfortable in Toronto, you know, especially during the pandemic. My husband was still working. I was not. Everything was shut down. And I just felt like I was a housewife and I didn't hate it. And that mm. scared the hell out of me. Um, I wanted to have that drive back again for my comedy. I wanted to make it on my own. I wanted to be in a place where I could get to levels of success that you just can't do in Canada. So I just kind of put that life on pause and took off. That's right, because you're actually married, but you're now having a long-distance marriage. I am having a long-distance marriage. That sounds like the best kind. You know what? It's not awful. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> I kind of don't hate it. <laughs> what does your partner do in Canada, or your husband? Um, he's in the entertainment industry. So he was um, an actor from the time he was a child for many, many years. And now he is a director. So he works um, on television shows. I see. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I guess there's a nomadic aspect to being an actor or a director sometimes. So he might be used to the idea that you're going to disappear go away and do some work somewhere else for a while. He's so used to it. I mean, he's so busy with directing right now anyway that I think... He was gone for the two months before I even left. So we haven't seen each other in so long. Um, I mean, he's on set all the time. So we're both so busy right now. Mm. I think maybe it'll feel different when one of us isn't as busy. But right now, we're both just all about work, work, work. So it works out pretty well. That's interesting what you said about that during the lockdown, you didn't hate the change of pace. Because it's something I actually thought. I assumed that without an audience to perform to, and you know, without doing shows five or six nights a week or whatever, that I was gonna like turn into a horrible tyrannical person. Oh, I did. Without the adulation. <laughs> oh, you did. Okay. I was awful and tyrannical, but I loved it. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. I just wanted. I did a lot, way too much shopping. Just that was just my everyday, like going for shopping, going for lunches, you know, wandering the city, um, finding stuff to do. And I got way too into the Real Housewives, and I knew it was time to leave. When I was like. I could do that. Like I could be on one of those shows, and then I was like, "Oh my god, I have to slap myself and get back to reality." Yes. What was the, what was so you went home during the lockdown, Kiri? Yeah. So that's like I, a returning to teenage yeah. dynamic, is it? Or it, it's interesting. So I I live uh, like on a farm now, and I grew up on a farm, and mm. I live like two villages away from where I grew up. So it was um, it was a weird mix of coming back on my own terms was really nice. And as soon as I had been in Wales for, I don't know about, I thought lockdown was going to be two weeks because I'm arrogant. Um, and as soon as I had been in Wales for two weeks, I was like, I'm not moving back. Because I had been living sort of between Manchester and London and occasionally going to Wales. So 
it, it was lovely for me and also being forced to well you you will know this as a freelancer it's very hard to take time off work because mm. it's not just the opportunities you're potentially missing out on it's the you know it's the yeah. financial implication yeah and what if they never ask again and then being forced to take time off work i thought like you i just disintegrate and fall apart but actually i was like oh i quite oh, i really like my boyfriend and <laughs> I like having time. And, you know, I did miss audiences, but I was doing lots of stuff online anyway. So, yeah, I, it, was, it was actually the happiest I've ever been. And then I did that thing of, like, promising myself I would never go back to working that hard. And here I am. <laughs> yes. I, I've been complaining in the little ante room we have through there. We've got this little holding room. It's really annoying because... If someone were in there right now, you would be able to hear them. Like, you could hear them breathing. It's just paper <laughs> walls. So I have to sit in there quiet, quietly. And that's the little gap I have in the day from the other show. And I start to sit there and be like, why did I agree to do two shows <laughs> every single day? And, yeah, it's quite hard. I don't know how other pe performers are managing the, like... Mm endlessness of the Edinburgh Festival because <laughs> I'm looking ahead I'm like fuck we're only a week in yeah. <laughs> literally only a week in you've done it loads of times though right I've done it a few times and also I've just always had I suppose like hustle I've always gigged loads so actually I find the fringe once I get my head around the, the first bit and the, like the mental as in like the mental sort of blocks of like oh you're going to be seeing everyone's reviews and you're going to tell yourself it's not a competition, but it is going to feel like one. Once I get past that, I actually find it the easiest month because I'm gigging as much as I would anyway, but I'm not travelling in the car for four and a half, five hours back from right. gigs. I'm in one place. I actually find the fringe an absolute walk in the park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let me check with the audience. Are you guys from Edinburgh? I can't remember from earlier on. From Wales? Yes. Whereabouts? Oh, my goodness. Whereabouts in the south? Tradiga is beautiful, and also it's where no, the, it's the not, NHS was founded in Tradiga. Yeah, Nye Bevan is a very historical, very important place. Yeah. What happened there? So Nye Bevan, who invented the NHS, it was based on a thing oh. called the Tradiga model, which happened in your beautiful place. Basically, all the um, miners there chipped in a bit of money because there was no healthcare. Yeah, and it worked really. It was in incredible. And he said, "Right, well, we can roll this across the country." So we have Tradiga to thank for the NHS. Uh, and there, I thought the best thing from Wales was Shirley Bassey. <laughs> Seemingly joint, not. Joint Bassey. Seemingly not. <laughs> and and are, are you Edinburgh people over here? No. Berkshire and Devon. Devon's very far away. Woo, Megabus has got some money out of you, hasn't it? That's it. That's almost as far as you can go without <laughs> being in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Michelle, in uh, your show, so it's called Be Your Own Daddy because you um, have learned to take care of yourself. I'm trying. I'm trying. definitely trying to learn to take care of myself. Um, so far, so good. Um, and it's just kind of, it's a very different show than what it was when I first got to London, that's for sure, because mm. London is really hard. It's really hard to survive there. It's really hard to make it. It's hard to get a bank account. It's hard to get a cell phone bill um, when you're new to the country. So it just kind of like shocked me how many emotions I had within the first week, in the first week there. Mm. So it's definitely a bit of a different show than what I thought it was originally going to be. But slowly but surely, I've kind of been working on building up that confidence again. Is that something you find a lot when you're writing stand-up or when you're writing, like, is that, does it evolve a lot from when you put your pen down and say, I'm 100%, done? 100%. Yeah? 100%. Even sometimes, like, you know, you can have a joke for, like, years and you think, oh, that's great, it's well-crafted, and then something will just happen in the moment, in the audience, someone will say something or you'll feel a feel, and it completely changes the dynamic. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's pre it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that must be quite exciting. I mean, I, in my shows, which are cabaret shows, so there's mm -hmm. a lot of humor, but there's also a lot of music, and I don't really write things, so it's kind of all based on what happens in the moment. There's a canon that you develop, like there's things that you say that you go back to and say again. Absolutely. But I've never sat and like, I'm miming this out for some reason with <laughs> conducting an imaginary orchestra. I never sit and write, so I'm always interested in how, like, how does a comedian go about devising the show like, and what's the process of I'm starting, I'm writing, it's written, it's done, and now I'm going to go and do it. There, for me personally, it's not really on a schedule. Like I, I can sit there and try to write something and I can't think of anything and I'll think, oh God, I'm awful. Like This is the end of my career. I've come up with every good idea I can possibly come up with. Then you're trying to sleep and at three in the morning you just shoot up awake and you're like, I have to get out of bed and write this down. Yeah. But I will say some of my best moments have come out of just random things that have happened in the moment at the show. Yeah. So it's really great skill to have. Like It's fabulous that you are able to do that mm. at, at every performance. And when you were saying about London, because I, th I always find, I, I first started performing in Glasgow, so that's a strange mm -hmm. place to come from, because Glaswegians are really, really vocal in a show. Mm -hmm. Like, they're, they're in the show whether you want them to be or not. <laughs> then you go to London, and there's a slightly different type of communication. They're less likely to heckle you, in a they're way. They kind of just sit there and are like, okay, be not impressed. let's yeah. see what you have. Impress me, you know? Yeah. It's, it's so different. It's a very different dynamic even than coming from Canada. But I do find in the UK as a whole, there's much more respect for the art form of comedy. Right. Well, all art forms in general. Oh, so what is it like in Canada? What's, what's a Canadian stand-up audience like? I guess they've gone to laugh, right? <laughs> they have gone to laugh and there's no intervals. Like here it shocked me when you go to a show and there's like one or two intervals because we just don't have that in Canada. Some shows have tried it and people just leave. Like that's what I'm saying. Like there isn't so much that respect. I do find a little bit like it's somewhat easier to make them laugh but you don't build up a fan base there. Like nobody follows you online after the show. Mm. People don't stand there and want to meet you and get photos after. There's just not that dynamic. It's almost like they're coming, you know, just for like the name on the comedy club, not necessarily who's on the marquee. Well, that, that to me seems like it could be quite, in a way it's quite a nice thing because it's very in the moment about the jokes on the night and like mm -hmm. just the, the, the jokes themselves, the humor itself. It's less pressure. Yeah, but at the same time, if you want to have a career, you want to have you a have following. To leave. <laughs> you have to leave. I yeah. mean, I, one or two people have done very, 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 very well there and live very comfortable lives, but it's just so few and far between there that we just don't have those type of opportunities. Mm -hmm. So is there a touring scene then? No, there's not really that one person show tour format, like where you go do your hour. Like you, you know, you kind of come up through the clubs and do mm. clubs or corporate work. But the difference is the headliners do 45 minutes. So they'll have a few opening acts and then you do like a full show. Um, but no, we don't really have those tour shows that you would have here unless mm. you're like a huge celebrity coming. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's interesting here in the UK, isn't it, Kiri? Like, I feel like there are, you can go to different parts of the country and there is almost like a, a personality to each region, mm. which you can definitely feel when you're doing shows oh, and yeah. humor. So like, much so. <laughs> go to yeah. Liverpool. And uh, oh, it's my a first gig in the UK was in Liverpool, and yeah. it did, I made it didn't. It was going great, and then I said a joke. I, I don't even know why I said that. I I just said. I had latest eye surgery. Has anyone done that? Nobody said anything. I said, whatever. I guess I'm the only one with money. And they turned on me <laughs> yeah. faster than an audience has ever turned on me in my life. Yeah. So I left out the alley of the show. It was terrible. <laughs> so I'm still getting used to like 
what to say and what not to say in all the different places because they're yeah. so different. Mm. They're so different. And even within sort of like, it, it's, I think whenever there's a change of accent, there's a change of people. And like, if you think yeah. about even in the Northwest, yes. that's where I sort of came up through, you know, to drive from Liverpool to Manchester is about 35 minutes. And you got Warrington in the middle there. They're all completely different cities to play with completely different mm. sensibilities. That shocked me. Yeah. That absolutely shocked me. Like I did not expect that because I think in Ontario, the province in Canada where I'm from, you know, it's not that different four hours away, three hours away. Like, uh-huh. there's a lot of the same types of people. So I'm still really getting my footing around mm. how different every little region is. I think some cities are, have a similar energy. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Glasgow, Newcastle, mm-hmm. they have similar energies of, like, quite up for it, quite empowered. Yeah. They love locals performing as well. They really champion local acts. So I think there are places that are similar, um, but ultimately this is just a tiny island full of lots of tribes that hate each other and um, <laughs> learning how to play them all is is part of the joy because you can almost never crack it <laughs> what's it like Kiri when you're doing a show in Edinburgh which you've done many times before but the Edinburgh Edinburgh Festival has a quite a specific clientele in a way mm. there's a it's not just about straight stand-up there's a slightly like political cultural social mindedness to the whole thing the city attracts that yeah absolutely because there's you know, there's when you're getting them ready and preving, people will be like, "Oh, this will be fine for Edinburgh," or you like, they didn't like it, but it's it's for you're writing. That's the hard thing is you're getting the show ready in front of audiences that that exist pretty much only up here who are very yeah. sort of culturally literate yeah. and have m- might have seen lots of stand-up, so you can't rely on quite you know tropes as much as you mm-hmm. as you could sort of if you're just doing other gigs around the country so I think it's good I think it's a good sort of stretch of your legs creatively to do it um but also you know you have in the back of your mind well this also has to work on tour and the best shows are when you feel like that this exact fringe show I could tour anywhere and it right. would go well that's that's the holy yeah. grail of it um but but also you can't get in your head too much about that stuff as well I know from where I've from like, like I said it came up through the circuit and there is a um sort of like a shorthand for like northern club comic and it it's usually used by sort of like reviewers and industry to mean um uncultured and stupid and Mm -hmm. unskilled which is the complete opposite it's just a different type and so you have to be really careful about perception in terms of Mm -hmm. that um when actually often they'll go well the audience were laughing the whole time and give a show two or three stars, which is deeply unfair, and it's obviously dripping in classism. Right. But um, I think it's tough for acts who slay it the rest of the year, come up here and haven't quite cracked how to do a fringe show. Mm-hmm. It can be quite a difficult journey, I think, for people. It's very emotional here. I felt so many emotions, like even like in the 10 days since I've been here. Like mm. It's been like a roller coaster. Yeah. 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 My, my partner, he's quoting it from a book that he read, but... Um, he refers to it as, as a, a marathon of sprints. Okay. Because like every day you're like sprinting, mm. sprinting, but also it's every single day. So it does... I'm exhausted. Yeah. And I'm so exhausted. It's so hard not to even... It do, I think that never changes, it seems, no matter how many times you okay. do it. Um, it's always horrible. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's lovely and edifying and it's the highs are high and the lows are low, but it's... Yeah. It's a, it's a long time to also sometimes pour your heart on stage to, you know, like three people. And you're like, this is a show I've worked so hard on. And and that's the other thing as well. I think this year more than others, uh, there feels like a big gulf between people Before having the dream run yeah. and the people who aren't. Yeah. 
It's interesting, the, so the wine tastings that I host in the afternoon, uh, the sommelier that I do them with, she's, she's great, but she says that she's feeling like the full spectrum of human emotion <laughs> in each day. <laughs> so like, it will go through a whole process of various things. All the stages oh. of grief. Yeah, all the, yeah literally, Abs- in the, the course of the day. That's the perfect way to put it. Mm. Yeah. That's what every day has been like here for me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I wonder if after a certain number of days, do you get to a point where you know which ones come in what order? <laughs> and then you're like, great, so we're just going to skip over the self-loathing hour and go straight to want a cocktail, feeling sociable. My thing is I'm very antisocial, deeply, profoundly antisocial person. Like, the last thing I want to do is talk to people, until I do, and then I'm like, can't shut me up. Same. But there's a point in the day yeah. where I'm just like, no, I can't believe I have to go and talk to anyone. Yeah. Even though this is, you know, this is what I've chosen to do with my life. <laughs> Seems very I am strange. very much an introvert as well, so right. I find it. I can talk to like a, a, on stage with a microphone or a room full of people, but anything out of that element, I get anxiety. You know, so right. it's it's kind of hard for me to like be around this many people, and you know, I feel bad because like I should make more of an effort to go out and meet people and that kind of stuff, but it's just really hard to do sometimes. Do you feel the pressure to be? Charming is that the is that the thing? Like you know that you have a charm when you're on stage, but actually, you, do you have to like almost keep it in reserve for your stage time? Yeah, and then absolutely. Going, don't going to the loft bars like the last thing well, you want to do. Well, I'm really quiet when I'm out in public, and I've had people think I'm a snob. Like I've had people be like, "Oh, you're so rude. You're so snobby." Like just because I don't speak, because I think they see me on stage and they expect me to be like that when they do run into me at the bar, mm-hmm. and I just have a really hard time with that. Like I'm working on it. But it's difficult, and I think being thrown into a festival like this, you really have to like you have to pace yourself as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm not being too hard on myself for not being out as much as I should. Mm-hmm. But I do think there is that fear that I'm going to be judged in that way if I'm not on when I go out to these bars mm-hmm. after the shows. Yeah. Does that ever keep you away from a social? Does that keep you away from a party, Kiri? I I did never go out here. Never. <laughs> yeah, I'm awful. Like I I just you know what it is is because I like. This I'm not here because of rich parents. Mm-hmm. So like every day counts, every yeah. show counts. So I don't want to jeopardize the show. Yes. By being mm. hungover, so I never do anything yes. that doesn't make the show better. And going out on the raz is is one of the things that will make it worse. See, this annoys me because this will shock absolutely nobody. But in my profession, typically, um, you know, I'm often drunk. <laughs> and, um, but, but, you know, I, I'd say I'm fairly uh, highly functioning in that capacity, <laughs> but that's keeping in mind that my usual show schedule is there's only one day in a week where I do a show at, mid, at, at like 2 p.m. and it's brunch on a Saturday in London in Soho. So basically, I can be drunk if I want and go out and have fun or whatever after the show and mm-hmm. I don't have to do another show yeah. until the evening. But fucking every day here I've got to be doing my makeup <laughs> at 9am wow so I'm yeah I will shock you I'm wearing makeup it's not just my shoulder <laughs> and I have to do it at 9am and I'm like that's the thing and it, it frustrates me because I do like to go and be, have fun but I have not as yet gone out for mm-hmm. now you're gonna say that I did go to CC Blooms but that was <laughs> not to network with other artists it was to network with gays <laughs> and that's different <laughs> Oh, they were all after me. Uh-huh. Oh, my goodness. Two Mexicans and a Brazilian. Lovely. Yes. Oh, yes. That's like fusion, isn't it? Yes, it was. Just <laughs> <laughs> a truly international evening with me. Um, so, uh, Michelle, you were touching there about, like, uh, you, were, you were saying that you're, there's aspects of yourself you're working on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I've just talked about enjoying a drink, but I'm not even really drinking much at all here at the Fringe. 
like at all. I don't drink the wine at the wine tasting. I spit it out. You don't drink it all now. I don't drink it all now. It's been yeah. four years. Wow. Well um, done. But you know what? When I did drink, I was out all the time and I was really good socially. So I think for me, I just haven't found that groove yet as a sober human being. Um, and I should find it at some point. I just haven't really been in a rush to find it because I kind of like just walking home after my show, putting it on my pajamas, watching reality TV, mm-hmm. and eating so many crisps. Housewives you know? again. <laughs> yes, of course. You know it. <laughs> so I get like, I just, I don't know. I love being a homebody. And I think I'm just, I don't, I'm not scared I'm going to drink. Like I'm in a really good place. But I think being out, I just don't know how to do it as a sober person. Mm. It's just so different. Yeah, my, um, I'm in a sketch group as well. And um, one of the guys from my sketch group is in recovery. And, um, and the other one, uh, the other boy in our sketch group was like, can you teach me how to have a good night out without drinking? Because he was mm-hmm. like, I normally always drink at the fringe and I don't want to mm-hmm. smash back pints every night. And he was like, yeah, he said it took me about two years to learn how to have as good yes. a night. You know what, the, the one <laughs> thing that I am finding um, that surprised me about being here, so many comics don't drink now. Like, mm-hmm. it's shocked me how many, and I think that's really good. I think it's mm-hmm. kind of good to find your little group and maybe hang out with them after, but more and more people here. And there's so many, op- like, a big selection of non-alcoholic beverages in the UK that I, I wouldn't have thought. Like, I just thought mm-hmm. I was going to be a place with such a heavy drinking culture. But there's like non-alcoholic craft beers. There's non-alcoholic ciders. Like it's really great in that regard. It's because if you don't have one of those, people will bully you for not drinking. That's yeah. actually so a really good point. <laughs> it's it's a way of hiding the fact that it's, you're not drinking. It's definitely a shield <laughs> yeah. to protect you. I stopped drinking last year for for six months essentially, mm-hmm. and learned so many things about myself in that time because I still had to go and do my shows. Some of which are in nightclubs. So I'm in the nightclub and I, I like learned that I, I, I hate everyone. And, <laughs> but also that what, one of my friends is, is sober, has been for two years and went from being, you know, drag queen DJ, falling over, falling into bins, going home with everybody. Um, and now I think the way that she manages to still be in those environments and still she's great fun is just to be as silly as the drunk people. Mm. And when you're around drunk people, they're disinhibited because they're drunk, which means that within the sort of social dynamic, you start to become a bit disinhibited mm-hmm. as though you were drunk yeah. sometimes. You know what I mean? Because no, that's why you want to drink, I suppose, fundamentally, is just to release a little self out that wouldn't come mm-hmm. out normally. Um, so yeah, I find that quite interesting. I find it interesting, like like you say, so many comedians seem to be finding the antidote to some of their, mm-hmm. some of their drives and their problems. Mm. Do you think that for both of you, like, where does the desire to be funny come from for you both? W- what were its origins when you were younger? Was it a, for attention? Was it a defense mechanism? I'm going to answer that question, but can I go back to what you were saying before? So yeah. I didn't drink until I was 20 because I'm allergic to alcohol. And it took me till I was 20 how to sort of undo the allergy. But whenever How do we you undo <laughs> an allergy? <laughs> well, I mean... You take antihistamines. Like. Oh, right. Yeah, so yeah, if yeah. I knock them back... I so can you have to take a drug won't... in order to drink? Yeah, which is yeah. why, Interesting. which is why when I drink, <laughs> I really make it count, okay. like, because <laughs> yes. I know I'm putting my body through something it doesn't like. That I'm like, well, we're not, we're not just gonna have one small glass of wine here, are we? Um, so yeah, I, I used to go out with my friends who were drinking, and then like bouncers would be like, she's not coming in, she's hammered, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not drinking. But when you're around loads of giddy yeah. kippers, it, it, you do that. That was really good for me actually growing up. That like that because I didn't ever feel like I needed a drink to relax or to hold court or show off or anything yeah yeah 
yeah. which is my favorite thing to do. Back to the question. Yes. Um, what, uh, well, no, I'll let you answer, sorry. because. Oh, um, I was bullied a lot. I was never popular. I was made fun of a lot in school, so it was definitely a defense mechanism. Right. Me. So would it be that you would sort of crack a joke to delight the bully so they'll leave you alone, or was yeah. it, yeah? Absolutely, and I think, in my mind, if I made fun of myself, I would kind of beat them to the punch. Yeah, because you know? it's so on your when terms. I first started comedy, it was very self-deprecating, and I know a lot of comics are when they first start out, mm-hmm. and I've kind of graduated away from that. Um, but when I started, I was very self-deprecating, and that was the whole point. It was like I'm going to say everything that you think about me before you get the chance to say it. Yeah, mm. that's so interesting. I, um, well, I just I liked showing off. Yeah. I like being <laughs> on stage. Yeah. And I used to think that that meant I wanted to be an actor, but I hated acting. I thought it was boring, learning lines. I mm. thought all the parts for girls were tedious. Mm. But I also liked writing. And then I just fell in love with uh, like a sketch show I saw on the TV, The League of Gentlemen. And I was like, oh, comedy, that's, that's a thing that you could do. So I just became obsessed with it. And then... Um, I found stand-up, I get it, like my maybe early, mid-30s, I think I was about 23, and that's, I was like, oh my gosh, my writing that I love doing and being on stage can come together, and I've always thought everyone should listen to my opinions anyway, so having a light (laughs) on me and a microphone is delightful, (laughs) Um, but I come from a very noisy household um, with uh, two brothers and a dad that like to sort of are quite funny and like to mm. sort of hold court and tell stories. So I think there's sort of like a bit of a tr- tradition of that in my household and sort of getting, when we were all obsessed every Christmas, so mum would get like a VHS of Billy Conley and we would, that would be a mm-hmm. thing that we all bonded over. Yeah. So I knew that there was currency in that. And, yeah. and in my school, my school, my high school was very rough. And one of the ways you could kind of get left alone a bit was to be, they'd be like, oh no, they're funny. So they would sort of back off a bit. Yeah. Very strange, yeah. What comedians, uh, Michelle, so if there was Billy Connolly in your household, what comedians were you watching growing up? We didn't really watch comedians growing up when I was young. Like, the one thing that I would kind of always tune into was when I would see, like, on TV there was, like, um, on our local channels, there would be comics that would do, like, their half-hour things. Um, And I would always watch the women because I just, it was just kind of mind-blowing to me. Um, but we never, we weren't really like a comedy household. Like we right. never really had that type of upbringing. But I remember one of the first comedians I ever saw on TV was a Canadian um, uh, comic by the name of Martha Chavez. And I remember watching her when I was younger and just thinking that it was so cool that this woman was like on TV saying these things. Like it blew my mind. And then um, I got to work with her like later in my career and that was just oh. really cool. I remember being like, I saw you on TV when I was just a little girl. So it was just but kind of like- she loved that. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like the like whatever you know the local or just for laughs would be on tv like that kind of stuff yeah yeah that's cool you got to meet her have you met any heroes kiri yeah the the league of gentlemen are the reason that i do what i do i literally went to i read everything there was to read about them i you know listened to every director's commentary and they i knew that they met in university so i was like okay i have to go to university that's how you do comedy that's all i understood so i ended up going to uni and met my sketch group who i work with now and when we first came up they came and saw the show because it was like a it was a hot show to see and that was absolutely wild seeing like Rishia Smith and Steve Pemberton sat in the room watching a thing you've made with your friends uh, you know that you only met because of them was unbelievable and fortunately they are lovely I haven't met Mark Gatiss I met Jeremy Dyson I've nearly met them all 
they're so nice because you know that whole don't meet your heroes yeah but they are just dead sound and and funny and interesting and clever people so yeah yeah been very lucky have you met heroes yeah yeah um so earlier me this today year, obviously yeah. that's a big Here one we are. <laughs> earlier this year i my friend of mine was doing the pr for barry humphreys's <gasps> tour farewell 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 tour so day Edna average and he's 89 right like this show is really interesting because he does it as himself he's going back through his life tells the story of his life a bit about how he created edna all that stuff and he was brilliant but he's obviously not fully you know, he's 89, so mm. he'll, he'll, he'll ramble on a little. And there's a guy on stage who's the pianist, who all he needs to do is start playing the piano to just sort of remind Barry that this story <laughs> is over. And then Barry, you would see me go, ah, yes, I'm going on for too long. Now I'm <laughs> and he would go back into the next story. We got to go backstage and meet him because my friend was doing the PR. And, and uh, he told, he'd been telling all these jokes about his whole life that was great. And we were delighted. We were like, oh, my God, Barry, it was such a wonderful show. <laughs> and he just looked at us and went, yes, it it was a musical in a way, wasn't it? <laughs> Which it wasn't. And he saw my nails painted and said, and are you in the business? <laughs> <laughs> Which I was. <laughs> and then the next day he texted uh, my friend who does the PR and said, your two little friends were very charming, weren't they? <laughs> so everything about the experience was classic him. He was everything <laughs> you'd want and very kind and lovely. And, and honestly, you know, at 89, I don't know that he'll do another mm. tour. Um, apparently he wants to, but you know that depends if his wife will let him. He's, he's really getting on. It was it was really cool. It's oh. like it's strange because I I'm not one of those people that yearns to meet the people mm. I love. I don't Same. need to meet Celine Dion. I'm, I'm too scared. Yeah, I'm like, what am I going to say to Dolly Parton? Nice, I just don't, nice tits. <laughs> yeah, I just don't. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to be like that. For the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the vaccine. And there's something to me about feeling like they're just being nice to me because they have to be because they're imaged. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if I met them naturally and like, you know, I'd probably be an idiot and be like, I don't know you. Who are you? Like, I, you know, it, there's just something weird about the whole celebrity culture. Right. I mean, I like it, and I, you know, obviously, I think a lot of us do this because we do have like that primal desire inside to be well known in some form or another. But there's just something odd to me, like, uh, like I've met, I've met a few people, and I never went up, and I never asked for autographs, I never asked for photos. No. I just, I don't know, it just, I'm always, I'm always, I'm like, I don't want to bother them, I don't want to be that yeah. person, mm. you know. So I, I'm too scared of that. Do you consider, for example, was it Martha Sanchez you said? Martha Chavez, yeah. Martha Chavez. Martha Sanchez is a Spanish singer. Um, <laughs> when you met her, do you consider meeting somebody like that in a professional capacity to, to be a natural situation? Or do you see what I mean? If you bump into someone in the supermarket... I think it's natural. Yeah, yeah I think that'd be natural I think it because is then natural, you're colleagues you at that point, right? Yes. Because mm -hmm. like, one of my first shows, I was 18, and she was on the show, and I remember telling her, oh, I saw you, and I thought you were great. And she was really kind to me and yeah. would always kind of you know help me out with with shows and put me on her all-female shows that she used to run. Um, so I think that's kind of natural. But I think if I saw, like, I don't know, if I saw, like, Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio, like, eating lunch in a restaurant, I don't, I would not go up to him. No. That, I don't want to be that person. No, and wouldn't. I'm so self-conscious of that. Yeah. But at the same time, I do have friends that are kind of on the celebrity spectrum, and they don't mind it, and they're so kind when people do it. But I just, I don't know. I just don't want to like, be that person. What are you going to say? Like... You know, one of the people I'm obsessed with is Emma Thompson, and mm -hmm. my ex bumped into her in a restaurant, and he like went up and got a picture, and he sent it to me, and I was like, "Could you leave Emma Thompson a fucking exactly. alone? Like she's having her tea." Like, and they hear it all. You're gonna be like, "Oh, I love you. I love that." They hear that a million times a day, right? right. So it's just I don't think that I could do it unless maybe I, 
I could think of something really funny, witty, and like natural and charming to say other yeah. than what they hear a million times today. Kerry, the League of Gentlemen is obviously like character performance. Um, and I imagine in your sketch show that you were doing in that, on, on, the, on that particular show, you know, in sketch comedy, you're putting on lots of different hats and doing lots of different things. Um, one of the things that strikes me is you've got quite a glamorous sort of uh, persona on stage. I've seen, you know, you've, you've, your hair is quaffed. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you're wearing these fabulous earrings now. Um, do you feel um, that glamour is an aspect of a persona that gives you something extra when you're on stage, more permission or more power? That's interesting. I think, well, how I look and present myself on stage, it's sort of a, a culmination of, of a few things. So when I started doing comedy, um, the first gig I did was I was on a night out afterwards. So I had to go and do this gig and then we're all gonna Ready go on the Raz. <laughs> so I was in like a tiny sequin dress and like this tuxedo jacket and these huge heels because that is what I was gonna wear to go out and get hammered and try and pull lads. Uh, but I also think, it, it, for me anyway, I always make an effort with what I wear because I think the people in the audience have, you know, put on a nice shirt they've hired a babysitter have they <laughs> but you know what I mean like comedy clubs they've hired a babysitter they've, they've maybe got dinner they've paid for parking yeah. like they made an effort I should also look like I should show them that I'm taking it seriously as well okay. and then I, so I always wear when doing any kind of performance I will always wear even if I'm doing a radio record I'll wear sequins and that started because I knew for ages there was nothing um, there was there was nothing special about my comedy at all. I just never knew how to describe it. I was like, I don't have anything. I'm still working out what I am and what I should even be talking mm. about. So I was like, well, what? I, I want people to book me though or remember me. So I was like, well, I'll just always wear something shiny. I'll wear sequins. And it's, I find it easier actually. It's like a uniform. I've sort of compartmentalized yes. it. I would never wear sequins recreationally because it, it makes me think of work. And then it did work very quickly. People are like, oh, the one always wears the shiny stuff. And now when yeah. I go on tour, there's people in the audience, they'll be wearing, they'll be like, I've got sequins to wear to the gig. And it's a lovely thing. And then I just started, I, yeah, because I, I, was I was a young, I was a 23-year-old girl who used to go on nights out four times a week and suddenly I was gigging four times a week and yeah. I had all these great clothes. I was like, well, I'm just going to dress like I'm on a night out and because it, it was an event for me. So that's sort of how it started and then it just gets more and more ridiculous, especially if I do big shows, like I've got a podcast and we'll sort of like, we'll both just really go for it for those shows. We, we look mad sometimes. <laughs> it's like full glam rock. But. So, and is your podcast also in video form, format? No, no. We're, we're quite, because we do it like seven o'clock in the morning when we're right. knackered after gigs, like nobody needs to see that. Because um, this is funny for me, because this that's obviously being, it's being recorded for the podcast that I have, but doing these here in Edinburgh is the first time that I'm actually in drag for the conversation. Cause oh, interesting. Oh. When I'm doing a podcast over Zoom with like Jess yeah. Phillips, Labour MP, or, you know, <laughs> Peter Tatchell. Actually, I think, didn't I, for the very first one, I said to my producer, I was like, I'm going to do these all in drag because you get something different out of people when you're doing it like that. And then one tired of having <laughs> to do that for a Zoom call. Uh, Michelle, what's your on-stage sort of garments of choice? Um, well, 
Because your poster, you look like yeah. Marilyn Monroe. Thank you. Well, I hired a stylist for the festival, actually. So I have um, one outfit that I absolutely love that I'm wearing on stage every night. Mm-hmm. And I did have a lot of really, really cute outfits for everything else. And then I did not expect it to be this hot. So <laughs> yeah. there's so much stuff that I'm just like, please get cold next week. Like, I have to wear this. So mm-hmm. I definitely dress way better on stage than you will see me ever in public. Um, unless well, it's I mean, like, you look perfectly acceptable yeah. just now. Thank you. Perfectly acceptable, yes. But um, I think on stage... I always want to just look just a little bit better, you know, because yeah. I think for me in my head, I'm like, well, maybe if they don't necessarily love my show, like they'll think I'm pretty. So <laughs> it's, you know, I definitely kind of want to have that air about myself on stage. And it, it's definitely when I'm at home, like I'm just in sweats, no makeup, just in sweats. Right. But when I'm on stage, I, I like to take it up a few notches for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that makes total sense to me. Um, and I, the reason I'm asking the, the question, I guess, is because there's a clear relationship between an onstage persona for me and an offstage persona. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very clearly, <laughs> I think, clear to people. <laughs> um, so I find it interesting to what extent do comedians have a suit of armor or a, um, yeah, a sequin, you know? You know, know. now that you mention it, I think that this, I just had a revelation. My mm. apologies for interrupting. I think... I'm very real on stage with the words that come out of my mouth, but I think my onstage ensemble is I dress who I want to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I want to be that person can, that can pull it together every day to have makeup and a beautiful dress yeah. and fancy jewelry. I'm just not, and I, Lord, I've tried, but I think that's who I want to be, and maybe that's the way yeah. why I can You're do You're the that. real housewife on stage. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's y- exactly, yes. I mean, even Jennifer Lopez just goes around life in her tracksuit with no makeup from time to time, you know? <laughs> I think that's the whole thing. Like, there's a, there's a whole presentation for being on stage sometimes. Mm-hmm. I do find it's funny that, like, male stand-ups oftentimes, I mean, it's really just, like, what they've been wearing all day. I'm yes. Like, how do you not change into the thing? How is there not a sort of because it doesn't matter for them. transformation? It doesn't matter for them. Yeah. And I talk about that in my show a little bit, that it's like a lot of them, no offense if you're fans of male stands up, but a lot of them are just butt fuck ugly men that just dress like butt fuck ugly men and they can get away with it. Like it's true. And no reviewer will ever say anything about that. No. But if I go out looking like wearing a paper bag, that will be written about. And yeah. I, I, it's just, it doesn't matter for male standups and it drives yeah. me insane. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. So so many times, that I, all my like friends I started with were all boys, and I would just be like, like you're wearing a t-shirt you got free at a drinking competition, and we're at work. Yeah, and why like, are you wearing sandals? Like, th- get rid of the Birkenstocks for the stage. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. like, I can't with even believe it that they can pull this off. Like, or Hawaiian shirt in like February. I'm like, get it together. This is ridiculous. Yes. There was there was a received wisdom that when I started that. Um, female comics were encouraged not to be very glamorous on stage. I was told that. I was always told to dress down and I think that was ingrained in me very early on and I think that has very much changed. I think it's more acceptable Mm. now to look the way you want to look on stage as a woman Um, but it was not like that when I started. We were always told dress down because you want it to be about your act. You don't want it to be about like oh sexy or something like that and it's just not that way anymore. It's that's funny to me as well because I feel like like Guys find women sexy whether they're in their makeup or not. Do you know mm. what I mean? It's like a sex. It's more the women. I think it was more about being judged by women when you're up there. Ah. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt anyway. But oh, I think might that's right. even changed a lot now too. I totally agree. That was yeah. the that was the advice. It was like women won't like you if you make an effort, which is very reductive. But I do think audiences have changed, and now you see like women want to see women, which is why so many female comics yes. are doing so brilliantly. It's great, and they're like, yeah, that's my life. That's the one thing that I do like about the UK. There's a lot of very funny women in Canada. 
granted, I'm not saying there's not, but the amount of mind-blowingly funny female comedians in the UK that I have met in the short time I've been here is phenomenal. Yeah. Mm. It's phenomenal. And obviously there's people who aren't great people. We don't need to name them. We'll save that for another time. But um, <laughs> Like in five minutes after the show. Yeah, 100%. But for like the most it. part, the women I've met, there's no air of jealousy about them. There's no air of like, well, why are you here? You're trying to take my work. Mm. There's only enough work to go around, which I think when I started in North America, we had that mentality where like, oh, there can only be one woman on a show. Mm. So if a new funny girl comes in, it was kind of everyone being like, well, whose spot is she going to take? Yeah. And I have not found that here at all. It, it's crazy. And it's really inspiring. Yeah, I think the like, like if we're in school years, like the year above me, so like Sarah Pascoe mm. and Catherine Ryan and people like that, I think they decided we're not going to have how we were treated, which is pull up the ladder behind you yep. and they're going to send it down. And so all I see is female comics supporting female comics. And it's, it's so, so nice. It's great. And Catherine, like Catherine and I started together way back in the day and she's always been that nice. Like she's always been such a kind and hilarious human being. And she really helped me with uh, like promoting my show. Like she did the quote for the poster and I just, I'm so grateful to her and I think just to see like how far she's come from like you know our days starting at Yuck Yucks in Toronto is just it, it's amazing like I'm just I could not be prouder for her it's it's phenomenal but yeah you're right well, that's to see all so very women. nice for the female comedians <laughs> bring back the bitches I say <laughs> I want some Joan Crawford energy <laughs> going on it's what you've both said here is actually it's it ties in very much with what Diane Spencer and Alison June Smith and uh, who were on the other day oh, both expressed Allison. the same well, another Allison's Canadian yes. yeah. it's funny because there's a, a, a fabulous lawyer comedian Abby who comes out and does the show in this space after me and it was sold out last night and I sat and watched some of the show it's really entertaining mm -hmm. she talks about the criminal justice system and everything but she's very dry and northern and backstage she'd been listening to one of the episodes to this and she went are all of your guests American and Canadian <laughs> because we seem to have just ended up with loads it's really nice I'm very drawn to Canadian women Shania Alanis Celine, <laughs> Celine all yeah. yes all my favorite women are Canadian um listen I'm so glad that you've both come and had these conversa this conversation with me today both of your shows are running for the whole run and excitingly so Kiri's show Home Truths is at 7 p.m Michelle's Be Your Own Daddy is at 8 30 p.m so you could so see both you could actually see both what? you could see both what a tonight, day perhaps um, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you to the live audience for being here in person. Thank you to everybody listening at home to The Vanity Project. We'll be back again tomorrow. Thank you very much. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.